ponder for a little bit today come from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can find them printed in your worship folder or also on, actually not on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, who were killed by snakes. Do not grumble, as some of them did, who were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of our God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. We tend to look at the past with rose-colored glasses. I can think back to my childhood growing up in Africa, and I have many fond memories. Fond memories of times with friends, times at school, other activities, and the like. And while I could remember some times that weren't always so good, I think a vast majority of my memories from my childhood are good. And I can look back on Africa as a wonderful place. Now, I have mixed feelings about going back there, whether just for a vacation or as a missionary, because I wonder if Africa would live up to my rose-colored expectations. I think we have a tendency to do that with the Bible as well, and especially with the Old Testament. To think of it as some idyllic time where, yeah, there may have been a few things that weren't quite right, but, but overall, people were happy and people... It was a good time. And yet the Apostle Paul bursts our bubble in this short section from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, taking just a short 40-year span of the Israelites, the time they wandered in the desert, and he tells us four different occasions where the Israelites were not listening to God, and the consequence thereof of those rebellious nature. And we see how Paul describes it. Don't be idolaters. The people who sat down to eat and drink got up to indulge in pagan revelry. You probably know this one. 
At Mount Sinai, when the people of Israel were waiting for Moses to come down, they, they got impatient, and then they built a golden calf and worshipped it. The next one. Don't commit sexual immorality. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. On the way to the Promised Land, there was a bunch of lusty Moabite women who tempted these Israelites into sexual immorality. Do not test the Lord. They were killed by snakes. And the Israelites were complaining about their, their journey in the desert, how long it was taking, the, the consistent food that they had to get day after day. They complained and they grumbled and God sent them snakes. And there was another time that they complained and grumbled and God sent an angel of his to destroy any number of them. Yet the Apostle Paul is not talking about this time so that the Corinthians or we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at how great of a job we're doing. Instead, just the opposite. He said these wicked deeds were written down as warnings for us. So with this background, the Apostle Paul gives the warning, don't do what they did. But then in the next breath, he seems to say something completely opposite. He says, don't worry about it. So is Paul speaking out of two sides of his mouth here? Or maybe far worse is God speaking out of two sides of his mouth, giving some sort of a, a contradictory message of don't do that, but don't worry about it. Yes, he is. That is exactly what Paul is doing. And the reason he's doing that is because our own hearts sometimes need that. Not sometimes, they always need that. So Paul gives a contradicting message to this, the contradicting hearts that we have. And it all has to center around, around grace. And either the false security we have around grace, kind of the, we don't want to abuse that grace, but also we can be assured by that grace. Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians as a reminder to stand firm to not take that grace for granted. And so he said, don't abuse God's grace. And he used the nation of Israel as the perfect example. In that 40-year span, the nation of Israel had seen God's grace like none other before them. They had seen God express his mighty power upon the Egyptians through the ten plagues, freeing them from slavery in Egypt. They had seen God part the waters of the Red Sea and pass through on dry ground. They were led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They saw God wipe away the Egyptian army from the Red Sea and guide them to the cusp of the Promised Land. Israel had received grace upon grace upon grace. And yet despite this grace upon grace, Israel took that grace for granted. They abused that grace. They abused the grace that was given to them by grumbling and complaining. They abused that grace by not putting their full trust in God when he said, I'm going to bring you into this promised land. Don't worry about it. They Abused God's grace, and as a result of abusing God's grace, the Lord punished them for it. The Corinthian church was not all that dissimilar from the Israelites. They too had received grace upon grace from God. They had the message of salvation revealed to them that because of what Jesus had done, they didn't have to worry about if they were going to get to heaven or not. 
And yet they too abused God's grace. They used it as a license to sin. And all you need to do is look at the books we call First and Second Corinthians to see one after another of the terrible sins that Paul has to correct. It's for this very reason that Paul warned the Corinthians about the results of the Israelites' sins. As if to say, you think that you have grace and that you are standing firm, the Israelites should have been standing firm too, and yet look what happened to them. If you think you are standing firm, be careful you do not fall. Because at the same time, Paul knows that while we have that new man in us, we are also a sinner. He expressed it in a different way in Romans when he says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, my sinful nature. I don't understand what I do, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, and it's that sinful nature that's within each and every Christian. And there's no getting away from it. The sinful nature that's leading us to do what's displeasing to God and ultimately leading us straight to hell. You can see examples of the sinful nature in characters found throughout Scripture. Whether it be Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' own disciples who betrayed him and then went out and hung himself. Or in the Old Testament, we can see King David, who toyed with the sin of lust and played with it so much that he ended up committing adultery with another man's wife. And then in his attempt to cover it up, the, the agony of his sin ate away his bones. This is what the Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians about, and warns us about too. Don't take sin lightly. Don't abuse God's grace. We too should take that warning seriously. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Like the Israelites, we have been given plenty of advantages. We have been given grace upon grace. We're Christians. We have God's Word at our fingertips, on our phones. We have the Lord's Supper. We have a Christian community surrounding us. But if you think that makes you secure, Think again. The Israelites had every advantage too, and yet look what happened to them. You may think that we have a firm footing. We're here in church. Maybe we even read our Bibles every day. We don't go visit the strip clubs, and maybe we don't go to those unsavory websites on the internet. And yet it's precisely because we think we have a firm footing that we should watch out. That we shouldn't take God's grace for granted. So we still know we have a sinful nature dwelling within us. King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So the Israelites had a sinful nature, the Corinthians had a sinful nature, and we have a sinful nature. And it's a sinful nature that thinks that sin is no big deal. God's word disagrees. It's a sinful nature that tells us you'll never fall from faith. Sinful nature that leads us to believe that we're strong enough to be able to fight against temptation. We can stop sinning anytime we want, just as long after I do this one more time. It's a simple nature that leads us to take God's grace for granted. 
sinful nature that leads us to compromise God's word for the sake of unity among other Christians. It's a sinful nature that leads us to question God, much like the devil tempted Eve. Did God really say? Does God really know what's best for you? We can take God's grace for granted in so many number of ways. Take his grace for granted when we don't realize what a special place we have here. Where we get to hear God's word on a regular basis. Take God's grace for granted when we just have a eh type of attitude towards the Lord's Supper. Take God's grace for granted when we start to whine and complain about the way that the church is running, or specific people in the church and what they're doing. And it's precisely because we have a sinful nature that we will at times take God's grace for granted. And it's Paul who warns us to watch out. And that's exactly what that sinful nature needs to hear. Don't abuse God's grace. And yet if that's where the message stopped, we'd be left wondering. We'd be left hanging. And we wouldn't all at any time be sure of our faith. Could we ever be sure that we're getting to heaven? Lead us to live our lives in anguish, always wondering. And yet that's not how God wants us to live, and so that's why he has a second part to this contradictive message, a contradictive message for our contradicting hearts. First he says, don't abuse my grace, but then he says, be assured by God's grace. The abuse of grace is a warning to the sinful nature, to those consciences who have been pricked, feel guilty over the effects of their sin. God says, don't worry. Be assured by my grace. The promise of God that follows a strict warning goes like this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you become tempted beyond what you can bear. To our new man, this new nature created in us by God, he gives us reassurance reassurance that God is faithful. And this passage kind of relates to almost some medical insurance plans. In a lot of medical insurance plans, there's a max out-of-pocket that, like, once you have reached that max out-of-pocket, the insurance company will take care of the rest. It's kind of to protect you from those extreme emergencies. That's what God says he's protecting you from. He said, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is a max out-of-pocket temptation that God will allow, and when you reach that, it will be no more. The promise continues. When you are tempted, you will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So while the world, the devil, and our sinful nature is tempting us to sin, We have God right there, faithfully standing beside us, making it possible to resist that sin, giving us the power to say no. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but he does say he will be there. And he gives his promise to every Christian, because he realizes at the same time we are both sinner and saint. So for the part that opposes God, that sinner part in us, There's the warning. 
the part in us that loves God, there's the assurance. And before we leave that promise, it's important to remember upon what that promise is based. All of that promise hangs on these words, God is faithful. Our faithfulness may wax and wane, but God's faithfulness doesn't. His faithfulness that punished His one and only Son on the cross for you means that He can never turn His back on you again. So does Paul contradict himself when he tells believers, watch out for how you conduct your life and don't worry? Of course he does. And you can find all sorts of other examples of contradictory statements in God's Word where first on one hand God will say that he hates sin and he hates the sinner, but then on the other hand he says that he forgives sin and he forgives the sinner. Yet the only place that both of those messages meet, that we can reconcile these two contradictory statements, is at the foot of the cross, where you see exactly how much God hates sin and how much God loves the sinner. Both statements are true, even though to our puny human minds they appear to be contradictory. Praise be to the Lord, who gives both the warnings and promises to us sinner saints with the ultimate promise we will join him without that sinner part of us, only the saints in heaven. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carried out to completion in the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.